Hey, welcome back, everybody, to the Brews and Belters podcast, where we talk all things soccer while sipping on some local brews. Uh, my name is Keegan. With me, as always, is Toby Hinefeld. Uh, tonight, I'm sipping on an Arrivederci Roma Italian Pilsner from the Gathering Place Brewing Company here in um, the Cream City, Milwaukee, 5% Italian Pilsner. Pretty good. Um, I've got Italy on the mind, not specifically Rome, but the city of Naples who bashed the living shit out of my Liverpool football club. But nonetheless, Toby, how are you? What you sipping on tonight? Even better after that intro. Uh, I am sipping on a hot butcher IPA called Inner Ocean. Uh, it's seven point five percent alcohol, and it's a oh, it's a double IPA actually with Mosaic hops. So yeah, uh, pretty good. I'm not gonna lie, it's in Tallboy pint cans, and uh, it's one of the better IPAs I've had in a while. So you just threw Mosaic hops out there, like you know, casually. Just yep. like you're a, a certified sipper, a bona fide sipper, a bona fide oh, brewer. I was gonna say grower, possibly. I was thinking about it. Hops are kind of kind of in style right now. So mosaic, yeah. I think, are one of the ones you can grow in the Midwest. So uh huh. And do you happen to know any of the science behind that? I'm I'm not familiar with mosaic hops. Absolutely, which I suppose not. we should be as as uh, <laughs> Bruce and Belters yeah. podcast hosts. Yeah. So I think it's kind of like uh, I mean, any sort of like veg vegetation variants house depending on the climate you know you can get different things so i'm assuming that's the same thing with hops uh same with like weed or anything else you know there's just different genetics of the same plant you know depending on uh i don't know the, i'm not real sure with the science honestly so they're just hops with that purple crystallized on top eh? <laughs> yeah right. it's, it hits like three times harder <laughs> uh well this week we're gonna get into obviously the champions league is back we're gonna get into um match day one in the champions league kind of mingle that in with some premier league news and then wrap it up with a little bit of serie a before we get into our boost cheers and belters so without further ado yesterday we had a few matches um and this is right off the bat intermingling chelsea uh, excuse me champions league with premier league and a little freudian slip there Chelsea goes down to Dynamo Zagreb 1-0, and it is Orsic, the Tottenham Hotspur slayer himself, who scored the goal to bring Chelsea down. What are your thoughts, Toby? Uh, so I only knew this team because they did pump Tottenham a couple years ago, and then they've also, I think, I think they played West Ham either to a draw or they beat them as well last year. Uh, I didn't even know. I'm pretty sure they're from Ukraine. Are they from Ukraine? Croatia. Croatia. I thought Ukraine as well, actually. I was like, Dynamo Zagreb, Dynamo Zagreb. But yeah, yeah. Uh, Croatia. So Croatia, so that makes sense, I guess. Uh, but yeah, for them to do what they did to Chelsea, where they made Chelsea look out of sorts at times. Uh, Wesley Fofana got the start, didn't look too good. He had some weird angles played on uh, some positioning. Uh, we'll get into that uh, later with Liverpool as well about positioning. Um, but yeah, he didn't look too hot. And then, I mean, I have not been very impressed with Koulibaly so far in the Premier League. He looks slow and out of touch. Yeah, he scored that banger um, in his premiere. And I was like, <laughs> oh, it's over. The whole league's on watch. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I agree. And just They were kind of caught out. Um, Zagreb scored on a counter. Orsic made a great run. And um, I, I don't know if it was a midfielder or a striker who played it to him, but he flicked a really nice header on and just made it through. And it just caught Orsic on the chest, and he just played it in full stride. 
and just beat Fofana step for step. And uh, ended up scoring a nice little goal. Gave me Fernando Torres vibes where he's just on a breakaway and just flicks one with the outside of the foot. And it just barely, it takes a couple bounces and you're like, oh shit, is that going to go wide? And it just kisses the post. It goes in. Um, it was a really nice goal. I think it was like 15th or 16th minute. And they just held the lead from there. So props to them. Yeah. And Mendy did not start in goal. Um, they had their technically their second string in, uh, but he even had an A plus grade save at the end of the game as well um, to keep them in it, or it would have been two zero. Uh, yeah. So yeah, they didn't look good. I didn't. I don't know. I mean, we'll get even more into Chelsea when we talk more into the Premier League specific. But I mean, they're just they're confusing right now on what I'm even watching. We can just get right into it now. I mean, I, I woke up at. 545 6 o'clock and looked at my phone and the first thing I'm greeted with is a post of Tuchel being sacked and I thought it was like uh you know how different accounts will do like what if like what if this manager left this club or went here or there I thought it was one of those I thought it was like a hypothetical post um it caught me completely off guard obviously they've struggled this year and they struggled at the end of last year as well and, and throughout quite a bit of the season but I did not see that coming to be honest with you, I, I thought maybe he'd be on the hot seat and there'd be discussion about that for a little while. But mm-hmm. they just went right into it. And, um, yeah, I, I don't know. What are your thoughts? I, I think they pulled the trigger really soon. Uh, foreshadowing, this would tell us if Tottenham doesn't do too hot the next year, Conte's gone and Tuchel will probably be our coach in two seasons. Uh, that's, <laughs> kind of the, that's kind of the Tottenham tradition. But, uh yeah, I thought they they yanked him too quick. Just like I think uh, uh, was it Scott Parker of uh, not Fulham but of Bournemouth. I thought they yanked him too quick as well. I mean, you're so early on in the season, and I mean, yeah, I don't. I think you put your hand on the ripcord, but I don't think you actually pulled that thing after this first defeat. You know, yeah. I mean, it was on the road in Croatia. They just played Friday, or excuse me, Saturday. They just played like it's a quick turnaround. I know I'm making excuses for a roster that is stockpiled with players that I think should have been starting instead of other ones not starting. Like he's played in the holding midfielder position, Kovacic. I don't know if I would have done that. I think he just did that literally because they were in Croatia where he's from. Um, now that I'm kind of thinking about it, I'm kind of piecing the uh, puzzle pieces together with that. Uh, but I, yeah, I, I don't know. Like I think it's too soon for, for the way that Chelsea's been playing. Uh, they haven't looked terrible, but they just definitely have not been winning. So I mean, if that's all that matters, then that's what it is. I guess there was some rift between the owner, Bully, and Tuchel on Cristiano Ronaldo coming. That's a bunch of hearsay. But, I mean, if that's the petty shit that's going to get you fired, then, I mean, so be it. No one knows that circus. Yeah. Oh, you didn't sign a 37-year-old? Oh, yeah, you're out. Um, yeah, and that, that brings up the question, too. I mean, I don't know much about Todd Bully, but – it does bring up the question of, especially with like a sexy signing like Ronaldo, if that was the issue, like the biggest issue with them butting heads, it does bring in, and, and this isn't just American ownership. They've obviously been under the microscope, but just ownership in general, when you have someone who's just an investor who comes in with this being a business opportunity for them, like you want to sign Cristiano Ronaldo from a business standpoint, but the manager's like, no, he doesn't fit in here. He's, he's a 37-year-old um and he he just might not be part of Tuchel's plan and so it is interesting to factor that in like you've got a new owner who's never owned a football club before much less a a football club of this magnitude that's seen this much success over the last 20 years 
and butting heads with a manager who's very intense mm-hmm. and has a way of doing things. And I just think that dynamic is really interesting as well. And and I agree that Tuchel is being pulled too early. And I hate to see that happen in any sport, but especially with American ownership going over and affecting a, a club, a sport, and a culture that realistically, again, I don't know much about Todd Bully, but he probably doesn't understand. And um, it's just interesting to me, especially as we, we've seen more American ownership and especially controversial American ownership with Stan Kroenke at, at Arsenal, um, the Glazers at United, and even you know FSG with Liverpool, who right now there's a lot of frustration there as well. So you're saying Thomas Tuchel has a Leonardo DiCaprio complex where he only likes young players, not old players, like a 37-year-old? Is that what you're saying? Just saying. Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> so so uh, Frank Lampart, Steven Gerrard, two other coaches not doing too hot. Should they be worried about their positions this early in the season then? Frank, maybe. I think the Merseyside Derby probably um, helped tilt the balance in his favor a little bit. And then, I mean, Stevie G as well had a great season last year. I think he's done a good job with Villa. Mm-hmm. Obviously not off to the start that that they were hoping for, but, um, I mean, they drew with City. You know, I I, I think that has to t- tilt the balance in his favor. Yeah. Um, so, I, I don't know. I, again, I just think so many of these managers are kept on such short leashes, and it's it's kind of crazy. I mean – you look at a team like Villa, I, I know they signed a couple players, but what exactly do you want them to achieve? Um, you know, it's it's not like they're going to be a serious threat really in any competition, even the FA Cup or, well, or any others. So. so with Chelsea, I mean, you know what they want to achieve. They spent like $150 million on their back line alone. Uh, so yeah. they're going for trophies, definitely. So with that, do you think the rumor is it's Graham Potter of Brighton taking over, uh, who is – somewhat of a tactician, but definitely more of like a player's coach uh, and will get the most out of players. That's kind of been his MO when he was at Brighton and everywhere else. Um, so are you okay with that if he goes there? Because I kind of feel like he's going to the dark side because I've always thought Graham Potter is like – The people's the, champ. I was going to say a baby Jesus, but yes. A baby Jesus that dresses really nice on the sideline now. Yes. Yeah. I think everyone shares that sentiment that they don't want to see him go there. Also um, – I mean, you never know how a guy like that would do at a club like Chelsea because he's been at Brighton and he succeeded at Brighton, which is obviously a completely different club and a completely different job than managing Chelsea. But for me, Pochettino seems like the smarter and the safer signing. Yeah. Um, he's played, you know, he played at PSG. He has managed these bigger, sexier clubs. Like he's managed in a Champions League final. You know, it, mm-hmm. that just seems like a safer and signing that makes more sense. But, um, I mean, at the same time for Graham Potter, while I don't want to see him, quote unquote, join the dark side, like you said, it, it does feel like he deserves this if he wants that opportunity and if he wants that chance to go and, and compete for a Premier League and Champions League, which I'm sure he does as much as he might love Brighton it does feel like he deserves this. So if that's what he wants and, and Chelsea does feel like the right fit, I would hate to see him get thrust into Chelsea just because it is that big next step. If Chelsea isn't the correct fit for him and if ownership isn't the right fit for him, 
because then it's just like, all right, well, this is a big club. I've wanted a big club. I've wanted the chance for hardware. I guess I might as well take this opportunity. Whereas, you know, you, you imagine this guy's going to have more opportunities to manage big clubs. So if there's a better fit, I would prefer to see him, you know, find that, that fit that's going to work out for him. Toby gave me the thumbs up. So I guess that, I guess yeah, that's, that, that that's literally, I'm like, a, I couldn't have said it better. <laughs> Nothing else to say. <laughs> uh, some other matches yesterday, PSG two, Juve one, um, city went four nil over Sevilla. Really the stars of the show yesterday. Mbappe with two goals. Um, Holland inevitable. I mean, what is it? 13 goals in eight matches or 12 goals in eight matches, something like that. Yeah. I mean, it's just an outrageous start to the season. No, they, I mean, we said it at the beginning, they're going to be a problem, but I mean, they're, they look like powerhouses in the champions league right now, which, yeah. which is kind of scary. Uh, like it was funny because Rodri, you know, he just has that, they were wearing maroon kits yesterday and he had it tucked in and just looked like a freaking general out there just controlling everything. And then they sub him out for some scrub from England named Calvin Phillips. It's like, Holy shit. How good are you guys? <laughs> like, like Calvin yeah. Phillips would be playing that all, but maybe three three premier league teams right now he'd be starting for all of them and like it's yeah it's it's bonkers crazy yeah it's it's insane um and i mean kdb i tweeted yesterday like what kdb and holland are capable of and doing on a on a constant like game by game basis whether it's champions league or premier league I feel like by the end of the year, we're going to get used to seeing them connect twice a match and just be like, like yawning, like, oh, here we are. You know, we're, we're going to yeah. get like desensitized to this level of greatness by the end of the season. It's, it's crazy. I, I don't think I've ever experienced a combination like that. And maybe we have, maybe it's just recency bias, but I mean, even you look at Real Madrid and their run of Champions Leagues with like Ronaldo, Modric, it, it didn't feel like there was this clear cut and dry of a connection. And then everyone around them is capable of doing that shit too. It's just, it's nuts. It, 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 I don't know. I, there's there's no real words to describe it anymore. Like it, it just feels redundant at this point. They're that good. Um, PSG on the other hand, I thought was good. I, I think Juve's in a weird position right now. I, I just think they're kind of up and down, um, and they're in this rebuilding era that we've talked about a few times. But I thought PSG was really creative offensively. The first goal came through, and Neymar just had the had the ball, um, stopped, and just did that little scoop chip over the top and just played Mbappe through. Great finish. Uh, I thought they were creative offensively and defensively. I thought they looked really sound as well. And Juve, again, in that transitional period, but Juve is a high-caliber club with history and tradition in the Champions League. So I think that is a good sign for PSG, who we've talked about in the past, like needs to show a little bit of that, a little bit of that, uh, you know, determination and guts and fight in some of these matches. I don't think they necessarily had to scrap for this, but I, I do think it was a good showing. Yeah, PSG, when they came out, they looked like Liverpool two or three years ago where you couldn't get it 10 yards outside your own 18 and the ball was being turned over before it even made it to, to mid midfield. Uh, that's what PSG looked like in the first half, second half. I, I'm not saying it was because of Weston McKinney coming on at half <laughs> for Juve, 
Uh, he did pick up a goal, but I mean, there was just something tactically that changed that made Juve a lot more attacking. That PSG, I mean, if you can keep control the ball and keep it in PSG's half a little bit more, I mean, Neymar and Mbappe, those guys aren't going to come back and defend too much. You know, they're pretty much just going to cherry pick right inside their own their own half. And so Juve took that to, to their advantage and was able to was able to kind of control the second half. Uh, I actually messaged. I was like, I thought. I mean, the, the glass boys are back. Like I was expecting PSG to break and I was expecting them to, to equal that out. Uh, but it, yeah, it never happened. PSG just, you know, got the win and uh, looked pretty good. And overall, I mean, they still are the team to be in the tournament. You know, one of the two, I would say with Man City right now. Yeah, I do think even though he is aging a little bit, um, you know, the Sergio Ramos signing, I think will be really beneficial specifically for the Champions League. Just because one, the pedigree. I mean, he's played in fucking fifteen plus Champions League competitions and has won several Champions League trophies. And two, just the attitude and the the edge that he brings as well as ex- exactly what PSG have lacked over the past few years. So um, I think that's a great signing. That whether or not he even affects things on the pitch, which inevitably he will. I just think that the attitude and the experience and and um, the mentality will bring a ton for them. Yeah. What do you think about your uh, AC Milan going into Salford? <sighs> wow. Yeah. So uh, I decided to just throw some money on AC Milan. I, I thought they were my dark horse for the tournament. Not the greatest showing, um, you know, but I, I think they'll be all right overall. Um, I, I was happy to see. I thought DeKettler played pretty well. Um, but overall, a draw, I, I didn't expect. I mean, Salzburg, obviously a decent a decent squad. Um, but, yeah, I, I honestly thought they would kind of rip through this group for the most part and um, not really the start that I wanted to see. But obviously just the group stages, and I think that they'll be fine regardless, but hopefully they'll figure things out. They're kind of in a weird position too where they've brought in a lot of reinforcements in their midfield, but they're still figuring out exactly – who plays where and when they play and, and how to work together and play with different, you know, different people on at the same time sharing that space. So I think they'll be fine, but not really the performance I wanted to see. Yeah, that's exactly how I felt. Uh, I AC Milan was kind of one of the teams I wanted to start following in Syria. And then they had that little, little spat yesterday, even though I, Salzburg is a good team, but I'm kind of feeling more like I should be following Napoli as of today. <laughs> so yeah, let's just go ahead and rip off the band-aid and get into well, that. So, I mean, how Champions League was breaking down is there's two games that start earlier than all the others. And so the two games that started earlier today was uh, Ajax and Rangers. And then that is the two other teams that are playing in the same table with Liverpool and Napoli. And then my Tottenham Hotspurs were playing Marseille. And then they're in the same table with uh, Stugat Frankfurt and uh, Sporting. Uh, Lisbon and so both of those teams are in the same and after you know kind of watching it at the beginning I was like like dude Keegs I think you and I have um, honestly the easiest path right now because Rangers look like dog shit against Ajax but then Ajax also their last loss was against PSV who PSV lost to Rangers to get into the champion Champions League so I was thinking that 
you know, Ajax might that 4-0 win that they had today might not have been as much, but it was still a little bit more. And I'm like, dude, Liverpool's gonna cakewalk through this and they can just beat Napoli today, is literally what I was thinking. Same with Tottenham because Frankfurt was playing sporting and they both did not look very good. And then sporting just turned it on in like the 65th minute and pumped out three goals in a matter of like 10, 15 minutes. And that, I mean, that was the game at that point and Frankfurt looked dead to rights. So, uh, I mean, that's kind of foreshadowing going into all this, but those two games, I expected them to be close and they weren't really close at all. To be honest, one was uh, sporting on the away side and then Ajax at home just blew out the other opponent. Yeah. Um, yeah. Overall, I mean, I actually look good. Um, I mean, they were selling team too. I mean, United bought half of their good talent, you know? Yeah. But it, IX is IX. Somebody brought that up at work today as well. I, one, I, I didn't think Rangers looked very good. So, I mean, they, they kind of cakewalked through, but honestly, I mean, scoring four goals on Rangers with the way that our defense is looking right now, doesn't bode very well for us. Um, but I mean, I was I was talking to somebody earlier really just about Ajax. Yeah, they'll sell and sell and sell, but they continue to churn out players, and you know they've got Tadic and other players like that that have experience and mm-hmm. um, kind of add that that experience element to it as well. And they've just got Champions League pre- pedigree and, and European pedigree um, going back fifty years plus now. So um, they're always a dark horse and a, a tough opponent in Europe. Um, I, I did not think Rangers looked very good. And then on the other side of things, I thought sporting looked really solid. Again, they turned it on a little bit late, but once they turned it on, th- I thought their class showed over Frankfurt. I don't know if Frankfurt was just getting tired or what, but I mean, they were dribbling around them. Uh, their passes were on. I mean, they just looked smooth. They, they looked much smoother than Frankfurt and they looked like they, they created positive play in a pretty easy way um in the the second part of the second half and um i don't know maybe that was a blip from frankfurt maybe they retired but i i just thought they looked like a much better team and then obviously the score line reflected that yeah as for liverpool napoli i knew kavika was gonna give trent problems um i had no idea how bad it would be joe gomez i've cooled down a lot i was ready to hop on the pod immediately after the match um i've i've cooled off quite a bit because i i think we'll be fine but it is worrisome when you see trent alexander arnold get burnt in one simple touch just a big touch down the line and then he turns and he walks as joe gomez inevitably gets beat and then Kavika plays a square ball into the middle of the box and trent's standing on the outside of the box because he's walked back after being incinerated by Kavika and he's literally walking on the pitch and it's like it gave me flashes and I was tweeting about this today it gave me flashes of Manchester United last year when they were just so bad at moments that it looked like none of them wanted to be out there like it, it it looked like no player wanted to be on the pitch or had any bit of pride in the jersey that they wore in the tradition that the club has and like in the mentality of, of what it is to be a Manchester United player, that's what it felt like. And to see Trent Alexander-Arnold, who grew up through the youth academy, do that was like fucking heartbreaking. It was it was a brutal moment. I was like, we look like United looked last year. Mm-hmm. 
and to go from being at the top of England, you know, up there, obviously with city at the top of Europe for the last few years and to have a moment like that, which Napoli's good, but they're not that fucking good where we should get dominated like that in a champions league match, yeah. the first Champions league match of the year. So it was soul crushing to watch. So tactically, I mean, we can get into the, the this, we're going to do micro. We can get into the macro of like end of season, end of cycle, old, whatever you want to talk about. Why is James Milner still starting Champions League as like a 47-year-old? We could talk about that in a minute. But tactically, what do you think they should do then? Should they keep with what they're doing and just switch players out? Or should they look to maybe move a Trent Alexander-Arnold who, in my opinion, if he played for anyone else besides Jurgen Klopp, would not be a right back. He would be most likely a midfielder or even a right right side forward you know something like that would you because he doesn't really have any defensive prowls yeah I, th- I think it depends on who's healthy which is a clear issue right now as well it's no excuse but it's a clear issue right now as well Tiago came back today from an injury played a little bit in the second half Carvalho had a knock so I think if Carvalho's healthy maybe you slide him in the midfield for uh Milner if you go into Today, how we went into it with Carvalho out, I think, yeah, maybe maybe slide Trent in there as a midfielder because he really doesn't anything at this point. Mm-hmm. Tiago's banged up. Carvalho's banged up. Naby Keita's perpetually injured constantly. Um, <laughs> that's, and you, sorry, you Kenny, really, that, that's frustration more so than anything. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you really have no other options. Um, I understand. I can understand for Mino starting. I'd prefer to have Nunez, but Nunez has been out for, for three matches on a band, so maybe it's a, you know, Klopp giving him well, a slap on the wrist, like, hey, you're, you're also not going to start the, the first match you're available back because you, you can't fucking headbutt people. Mm-hmm. No matter how soft the headbutt was, you can't do that shit. You need to keep your head because people are going to target you now. Now you've put an even bigger target on your back than you walked in here with mm-hmm. um, because people think you're a fucking hothead. So I can understand that. Plus, Bobby had been playing fairly well in recent Premier League matches. So I, I get that. Um, in an ideal world, Luis Diaz on the left, Nunez in, in the middle, Sala on the right. Maybe even you throw Jota in there for Nunez. Yeah. Carvalho in for Milner, Harvey where he is, Fabinho where he is. And then the we had Matt's hit back today. And again, you know, he's coming back. So I understand not starting him, especially we've been struggling in the Prem. So maybe save him for the Prem. Um, you know, get him some minutes today and then and then save him to start in the Prem. So I get it. And again, you know, the injuries do factor into this. It's not so cut and dry, but I wouldn't mind seeing, especially with as well as Simikas has played, maybe you throw him at right back. Maybe you let Carvalho continue to rest a little bit and you try Trent in the midfield. At this point, we don't have anything to lose because we're so fucking bad in the midfield that we might as well just try anything. It really can't get much worse. That's what I wanted to ask you. Like, So another macro question with ownership and with your leadership and who's making your transfer signings and whatnot, should they have kept going after Darwin Nunez or should they have used that money to maybe shore up the midfield a little bit better? We're like, I mean, I know you can't project Tiago Silva getting injured, but I mean, even then Silva's like aging, you know, he was in his prime at Bayern, you know, not at Liverpool right now. I think Tiago was a win now signing um, for last year. 
I, I don't see him being a long-term, whereas Nunez, I see being the opposite. I think Nunez is long-term, whether they meant it or not, um, because Bobby is aging as well. So mm-hmm. I, I see Nunez being our number nine moving forward. But at the same time, I do think it's an issue of signing in places we don't need, because even if we don't sign Nunez – and even if he is a great signing for the future, we have Diogo Jota, who's proven that he can play in that number nine role and do it really, really well. And he can play anywhere up in the in the front three. I love the Carvalho signing because he can play a 10, he can play a nine, he can play on a wing. Um, but we needed a midfielder really more than anything. And I don't think maybe it was ownership, maybe it was Klopp. I don't know. There hasn't been a bunch of transparency around. You know, Klopp has said, I would love to sign a midfielder. Um, but they never did it. So, you know, people think it might be ownership. People think he might be covering for them, whatever it might be. We needed to sign a midfielder. And I don't think people realized how badly we needed to sign a midfielder until we saw how shit Jordan Henderson's been this season, which is tough to say as a Liverpool supporter, because he's a great captain. He's a good leader. He's a vocal guy. He's a hard nosed guy. He's, he's a fans player. He writes people's names on their shirts, (laughs) but he's not, a good football player and especially not a good central midfielder who's going to create anything. We have a deep lying defensive mid in Fabinho. We don't need another one. We need a true box to box who can create things. And I think Harvey has that ability. He's still super young, but I think he's played really well. I mean, outside of Alisson, Harvey and Luis Diaz, we don't have a player who's actually been like a bright spot this season. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of it too comes with the mentality of, like there is an edge that's missing as well. Um, there's an intensity that has left the team. And it, it goes back to today with what, what I mentioned with Trent, you know, getting burnt and just walking back. And then, you know, you might think, oh, I got burnt. All right, whatever. Joe Gomez is going to cover for me. Well, Joe Gomez has proven he's not going to cover for you. And then you're walking back on, as the opposition buries on another purpose. Player. On purpose, he's not covering for you. Um, <laughs> yeah, and that's been another thing. I mean, with Matt Tip out, I was a huge Joe Gomez guy two or three years ago. Has some injury, injury issues. Comes out healthy this year. First couple performances aren't great. I'm like, all right, you know, he's going to get better each match, and he's actually gotten progressively worse each match. Mm-hmm. And um, again, you hate to say it as a supporter of a club, you you. Like you, you care about players, you get attached to players, and Joe Gomez is a player that, like, I really, really wanted to see succeed, and he has been really, really, really bad. Really, bad. and it's it's <laughs> it just sucks, man. It well, and, and it sucks. I'd rather see them be shit, busting their ass and having some pride in the in the jersey and in the badge. And today, they were shit. And they have no fight. Or how old is Joel? How old is he? He's probably 24, 25. He's fairly young. 25. So. Yeah, 25. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, with that, like, you can't really use this guy as an example. But, like, I mean, there are some aging talent on Liverpool. I'm not saying it's the end of a cycle, end of an era, you know. But for at least the end of the season, like, doom and gloom, do you guys uh, top four? Like, that's what we're hoping for right now with Liverpool, Yeah. Because right yeah. now, I mean, I would say Tottenham is going to fight with them for it. City's definitely beating them. Arsenal most likely fighting them. 
And then I would even say Chelsea and United, like Liverpool's not the Liverpool that they were last year and definitely not two or three years ago. Yeah, definitely not. And again, it's a long season. Maybe we, you know, say we remain healthy for the rest of the season and we have our choice of, of starting 11, maybe things start to click again and it turns around and, you know, you never know what's going to happen with other teams either. I mean, City's firing on all the cylinders right now, but God forbid if, and I'm not saying this sarcastically, literally like God forbid, I, I would hate to see anyone get injured, but you know, God forbid De Bruyne goes down and, and Holland goes down or, you know, they have two or three injuries that really throw them off. Things can change like that in the prem as we've seen um, and the champions league for that matter. So I don't, I don't have expectations that, that we can do anything better than the top four right now, but we're only five, six matches in. So obviously a lot can change over the course of the next 34 weeks, especially with the World Cup thrown in there, which is going to throw everything off um, from a rest standpoint, from a momentum standpoint. So uh, I think I think you, you scrap to get back in a position where it's like, all right, we've solidified ourselves as a threat to be top four now. We're, we're not a team you can count out for the top four. And then you set your sights higher for, all right, now we need to compete in Champions League. Now we need to compete in Premier League. But we've kind of dropped back a few steps where it's like, all right, we got to get our shit together to to be a top four threat. Because right now we're not. I mean, there there's five or six teams at least that are better than us in the Prem right now. So with that, Group A... Ajax and Napoli both have three points. Liverpool Rangers, zero on that. Um, Napoli, your boy, how'd that feel like? I mean, you're getting, honestly, this is probably the worst loss Liverpool's had in years, uh, just by the numbers. You know, not maybe how much it means to the club, but based on, you know, them losing end of the season last year and whatnot. But this is one of the worst losses that they've had goal-wise. I think they maybe had one other one against Aston Villa that was really bad. But I'm going to butcher his name again, but Napoli's 18-year-old Georgian, Carvascaria. Am I saying that correctly? Kavika Kvetskalia, something like that. I, I, I always screw up the, the last name. I think it's Kvetskalia, something along, yeah, something like that. That that dude looked at Trent Alexander-Arnold and Joe Gomez and was like, give me your lunch money. Like, he had him on skates. Like, and when you were talking about this whole, like, how he kind of gave up on the blade, that was this kid pretty much going 1v1 on both of them. Yeah, yeah. And he's – get used to that. If you're going to watch any Serie A or Champions League this year, get used to that because we've talked about him, I think, on every episode this season. Like, Yeah. He's yeah, the he's truth. fan favorite. Dude, today was yeah. such a good day for Champions League football. Like, it was awesome. Uh, Barcelona went out there, and I know – I'm assuming I'm teeing up something that you are already going to talk about, but – Dude, like yesterday we had Halan and Mbappe each have two goals. And then what? And then the hat trick. Yeah, Louis, like Robert Lewandowski decided that it is still his time. And like, I mean, man, like you see, you see Bar or you see Real Madrid and uh you see some of the guys there perform but not perform to their standards. You know, and then you have Benzema go down with an injury. Looks like he's out three to four weeks. So Lewandowski steps up. He's 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 inevitable. You know, he is who Halan is or who uh, Erling Halan is trying to emulate. You know, when it comes down to it. And dude, I he's such a pleasure to watch. And like, dude, he's 
I, I I said that like Bayern because Bayern still looks really damn good without Lewandowski, but Bayern's also, I mean, they're Bayern and Barcelona's Barcelona and Barcelona with Lewandowski is even better. And that's what's scary about him being out there and just pumping goals. Granted, they're playing some team. I don't even know where they're from, but still doesn't matter. Yeah. I told someone at work today, um, as soon as he scored his third, uh, I think he also used the word inevitable. And I was like, yeah, I mean, it, one, I, I wonder what it's like to do something, anything, any sort of craft, sport, whatever it might be, and just be like, yeah, this is this is what I was created to do. I'm that good at this, that this is what I'm, I'm here to do. And there are people like Holland and Lewandowski that – Cristiano Ronaldo that were just put on the planet to put the ball in the back of the net to make and like every time he's on the pitch you're just like yeah this dude was born to score goals and like when you walk like when you when you see his numbers you're like yeah obviously but then you watch it and you're like no like there's nothing else besides maybe some TikTok dances that this man was was placed here to do other than just yeah give us belters and it's yeah. amazing. It's amazing to be able to watch it. And we saw him do it at Bayern. We saw him do it at Dortmund. We saw him do it at Bayern. And and now to just be like, you know, I'm, I'm ready for something different. Go to Barcelona. It's just like, all right, just pick right back up and, and score. First player in history to score a Champions League hat trick for three different teams. That's good, right? It's pretty special. And I it's think he also I think he also moved up to three or four on the list of all time goal scorers. He still has like sixty more to get Messi, but he's right below like Cristiano Ronaldo and Messi on the goal scoring, I want to say. Um so Barcelona picked up all three points. Bayern picked up all three points in the group C uh over Inter Milan. Uh, I didn't really watch that one, but uh I was kind of bummed uh Inter didn't show out more at home uh compared to playing against Bayern. Yeah, I just don't think they're as good as Byron. Um, I think they're they're good and they're getting there, but I I, I still think they're a level behind them. Um, Napoli Napoli surprised me, and again, Liverpool just are in such a weird place right now that maybe they shouldn't have surprised me. But they, I, I think Napoli just got Liverpool at the exact perfect time. Yeah, like if yeah. You, if they play them next week or in two weeks, I don't know if this happens. You know, honestly. Yeah. And just in my mind, the way I rationalized it, like Inter Milan win Serie A two years ago. AC Milan win Serie A last year. They bring in new signings. They've got a good mix of youth and experience. They're solid from the back to the front. And I just thought, and, and again, I mean, we're, we're one game into the Champions League, so I, I still have a lot of faith in AC Milan. But it just feels like there is a resurgence right now in Italian clubs in Europe for a while, it really disappeared where, you know, early two thousands, AC Milan was running shit. Juventus was running shit. Inter Milan had a couple, a couple um, squads mixed in there. And it, it feels like we're in, uh, on the brink of, of Serie A being back to like being a serious for a while. It was, it was the prem in in Spain, you know, it was Real Madrid, mm-hmm. Barcelona and, in some Prem teams mixed in there with Chelsea and United. Um, and it feels like we're on the brink of Serie A coming back. And I, all logic points to AC Milan being that team. But who knows? Maybe it could be Napoli. But um, I, I do think 
if there's any team who does it, I, I think it would be AC Milan, whether it's this year or next year, or, you know, a couple years down the road. I just think that they have that pedigree. Again, I, I think that the Champions League comes down so much to the foundation around the club and that history and that, you know, being there, you know, being able to handle that stage. And Napoli, again, I've I've had really high hopes for over the past three, four, five seasons in Serie A, and they fell short, um, drastically short several times. So I, I do still have some hope in AC Milan, but I think Inter is, it has taken a step back. You know, I thought maybe two years ago after they won the shootout, oh, they could be that team that, that brings Italy back to the European spotlight. But I don't know. Um, I, I just feel like they're missing something still. Uh, AC is tied with one point with Salzburg in Group E with Dynamo Zagreb taking all three and Chelsea in last place with zero in that one. Um, so in the Group D, which is the Frankfurt, Marseille, Sporting, and Tottenham, uh, my Tottenham Hotspurs looked really bad, like really bad. They could not form a pass. Uh, they turned it over almost nonstop. Uh, Human Son can not only cannot pass and score right now, but he's also not able to dribble at the moment. Uh, he is drawing red cards and yellow cards, getting tackled. So I guess that is serving some sort of a purpose. Uh, at one point, there was the dream top four of Harry Kane, Human Son. Uh, Dejan Kulisevsky and Richarlison all up front at once. And besides for like some kickballs and running under it, there wasn't much going on. Uh, I don't know the bot, the midfield just wasn't being bossed like it usually is uh, with Hoybier and Bentecor. And the back line just, they don't want, they're too scared to move forward. So they just go side to side to side to side. And they're not willing to like pick a pass. And there's, they're just, playing cowardly at times and it's not aesthetically pleasing it's boring it's 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 just so frustrating to watch and they just continually play back to Hugo Lloris who's been with the club for 10 years good amazing safe percentage he's such a good goalie but when it comes to playing out of his feet he's never been great he's always been a middle of the pack goalie in the Premier League when it comes to playing out of his feet he can pinpoint a pass to a certain degree, but under pressure, he does not have the like finesse to play around someone and they continually turn the ball over. They did it last weekend in the Prem and it got him into trouble nonstop. That's how they scored the goal when uh, midweek uh, against them. And then they almost did the same thing a couple times today. Marseille took it to him. And th the thing that Tottenham had going for him is that Marseille did not have anyone that can finish. Like no one could score goals. So there was still no real threat and that's what kept them in it. And then luckily in the, they broke through in like the 75th, 80th minute with Richarlison who got lucky with some header. Like, I mean, that honestly should have been a saved goal in my opinion. Like it was on target. It was hard and uh, it was hit with accuracy, but it wasn't like anything crazy out of the reach of the goalie. He was like bobbling backwards, but she'll, in my opinion, he should have saved it. But yeah, I would, you know what I would kind of like to see is, I would like to see them adapt a 4-2-3-1, especially with Richarlison playing well today. Um, because you mentioned they play back to the Reese a lot, and part of that issue, too, with him not being great with his feet, he also doesn't have much of an outlet. There is no real commanding presence on that back line to play it to who you know is going to control the ball, or at, at the least, if not control the ball, just box a, a pressing attacker out 
and create some space and create some time. Yeah. So, you know, having those two deep lying midfielders drop back, whether it's Basuma, um, Hoybeer, what, whatever duo it might be that's back there as the two, just freeing up some more space and more bodies to break through press. And then you've got that line of three with Son, Kane in the middle of the number 10, and then Kulisevsky out wide. And then those three are attacking with Richarlison up in front of them. Who can play as a target man as well? He's strong and physical enough where he can hold off defenders. I know that's not their standard way of playing, but I do think that it could be a good setup and it could get Richarlison involved as well because it's just tough when you've got four attacking players like that. There there aren't very many formations where you can use all all four of them on the pitch at once. So I don't know. I think that'd be interesting to see. Yeah, no, I think so. Um, I mean, I, I've been saying it since – the season started and since even the end of last year, I still don't think Conte's found his starting 11 that he feels comfortable with on a regular basis. Like he started throwing in some of the reserves with uh, uh, Longley, the uh, the French player on loan from uh, Barcelona, and then also with uh, Perisic playing on the left side. Um, he looked good, but he didn't look great. And I think, or I think Conte's still trying to figure out who is best for, you know, Champions League, Premier League, and then all the other offshoot tournaments. So I think there's still a lot of room for them to grow, but it's just, it's frustrating, man. Like you get up for these games and then it's like, you know, you have to have some like Richarlison talent in the 80th minute. And maybe that's, maybe that's what it is. Maybe that's the difference. I don't know. Like he is the new signing, but still it's messed up. So. Yeah. Well, we've Uh, spent 45 minutes talking Champions League. What else do we have there? Or shall we move on? Uh, the only thing I will say is Bruges looked decent, and then the bonker game was Adeletti Porto. That game, all the goals in the 90th minute plus, and our dude coming in, Antoine Griezmann in the 101. The 101. Insane. Minute. Well rested, Antoine Griezmann. Dude, hey, so rested he got a bleach cut or he got a bleach hair dye during <laughs> during the game. Like he looked fresh as hell. Uh, I love it. I love Diego Simeone running down to the touchline and like grabbing Griezmann after as a celebration. And he's like, dude, I want to play you 90. I can't. You know, he's like, he's, I can't he's afford tricky. it. He's I can't tricky. afford it. <laughs> he's tricky. I got to pay a mortgage, man. <laughs> 40 is the new 90. Don't worry about it. <laughs> so, no, uh, actually, speaking of Simeone, just Champions League, chaotic energy in the blood. Um, his son, Giovanni Simeone, scored for Napoli and saw a story online that. He got the Champions League logo, like the star, like the the soccer ball that's made of the stars, tattooed on him when he was 13. And Diego was like, yeah, I don't know. I, like, you, you should probably just wait before you get a tattoo. And his mom was like, you know, asked why. Like, why would you get this? And he said, because when I finally play in the Champions League and I score, I'm going to kiss it. And he scored against Liverpool and he kissed it, which is just, that just sums up the Simeone family as we've come to know them. Um, yeah. And Diego and- is just an absolute psychopath and in the best way, unless your club is playing him, he's pure entertainment on the sideline, pure intensity. And then just to see his son be the exact same carbon copy of him and yeah. on the pitch is, is fucking awesome. Yeah. Wondering how a 13 year old can get a tattoo. That's always a question. And two, that was my cheer, by the way. 
Yeah, no, that was my cheer as well. Yeah. <laughs> Shit. Yeah, uh, I mean, first awesome first week of Champions League. The the matches were phenomenal. Uh, mostly everything we kind of said happened happened, minus maybe one one or two games. So, I think overall, Kings and I are right on point when it comes to all this. <laughs> I'll also throw out my belter, um, Alex Grimaldo from uh, from Benfica. That's A mine too. Fucking banger uh put his foot through it coming across the ball and just put that nasty knuckle swerve on it kiss the crossbar like potential goal this season um coming in week one of champions league yes and uh follow us on twitter because uh that was on there as we got the belters we yep. got the belters all of them yeah we've we've kept up with twitter very well we have been lacking a little bit on instagram but um, Twitter, we've been all over recently, so yeah. definitely follow us at Bruce and Belters um, on on both platforms, and we'll pick up the Instagram game and and the Twitter game is there. So yeah. Um, other than that, Prem, Did any I, notes from this past week? I don't. I mean, honestly, not really. Jesse yeah. Marsh feels like he took a punch. Uh, his rah rah style kind of kind of bit him in the ass um, for leads, but that's about it. I don't really have anything else. Uh, my big thing really was United showing off their new toys. Um, Casemiro, Anthony with with the goal to start it out for them against Arsenal, thirty fifth minute, um, good finish. I mean, a, a chance he probably should have finished, and he did in his debut. So, um, dude, I don't think I don't think Arsenal knew he was left footed because the goalie went left. And he slotted it left, and usually you wouldn't go that far to the near post. So I thought, yeah, it was I'm weird. curious if he just didn't want to get burnt near post. Yeah, or uh, I don't know, I don't know. What, I, I, what, I I kind of thought the same thing, but give that ahead. kid, give that kid a little confidence, Anthony. And that dude is like a Richarlison type, yeah. Brazilian. Like he was on the ball. Like at one point, I think he shaked his heel over the ball like four times. Like each way, and it was like <laughs> that's so his game good. too. I mean that yeah. that that is Anthony. Um, yeah, and then Rashi, you saw Marcus Rashford score two goals as well. Um, so Anthony scored, Bakayo Saka brought it even, and then Rashford put the nail in the coffin there. Um, Arsenal did have more shots. United with more on target. Arsenal dominated possession, um, but overall. United got the job done. It, it felt like a huge win. Just watching the match, it, it felt like a big momentum shifter. And again, you know, at Old Trafford, it felt like the perfect time for Anthony and Casemiro to make their debuts um, and just kind of bring a new energy and a new life into the club and a huge match, obviously, against Arsenal. One, Man U versus Arsenal in itself says everything, but Arsenal being undefeated in the league um to give them their first loss was i think that's a, a huge win for united and a yeah. huge win for for 10 off so through six matches after the world was coming to an end a week and a half ago for manchester united uh through six matches arsenal in first place with 15 tied for second is city and tottenham at 14 brighton at 13 that if that alone will get you your manager a new gig if you're if you're after six games in Brighton uh and then United at 12 with uh in fifth place so I mean it's a long way away from them being what three or four to the bottom a week or two ago like 
you know, who would have thought just a quick, quick win against Liverpool and one other team would do that to you. But uh, yeah, they uh, United, I honestly, they look like it's finally starting to click and not just click, but like the dudes who haven't produced under every other manager the last two years are starting to like Jaden Sancho and Rashford finally got on the score sheet. And like, it's starting to look like it's, it's finally coming together for them and it's shitty, but at the same time, I'm kind of happy because I like a lot of those players. Yeah. Palace will beat them four two this weekend. So nothing to worry about. We like those guys too, though. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a prime man. I mean, it's just so weird. We've, we've done this pod for three years now, which is crazy. And you just can't predict anything. Like that's, that's what I've, I, I've realized recently we're just doing this all in vain. Yeah. Because <laughs> we don't know what the fuck's going to happen. Yeah. We have no idea what's going to happen. We are pretty much the VAR referees right now in the Premier League, you know, and they're looking at Champions League. All right. League. Give somebody a pen. Just give someone a pen. <laughs> yeah. Did you see the new Champions League offsides? How it looks like a guy's like reaching his arm out of a wall. Yeah. Glory hole style, but not quite. Kind of like that. Yeah. That's it's what hot. It looks like. Yeah. yeah. That's so that's. That's what we got. You know, let's wrap this up. We're at 53 minutes. <laughs> I, I swear I would not say glory hole again after episode 30, but here we are. <laughs> let's just do a quick wrap up of Syria and let's get the fuck out of here. Um, so kind of surprising. Atlanta, five matches in. They're in first place with 13 points. Napoli right behind them with 11. AC Milan also has 11. And then Udinese. Uh, Udinese, Roma, and Torino bring up four, five, and six, all with 10 points apiece. So Juve and Inter sit in seventh and eighth with nine. So not really what you would expect probably at the beginning of the season for a top four, even a top six. We got Atalanta, Napoli, Milan, Udinese, Roma, and Torino. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I mean, Roma has definitely been underwhelming. They got beat 4-0 by Udinese this past weekend. Um, It's just been kind of weird. AC Milan beat Inter 3-2, which made some sense. Juve and Fiorentina drew 1-1. And Fiorentina have kind of been a a thorn in a lot of team sides. Uh, They can come out and beat you or they can play you like they did Juventus and, and go out and grab a goal and and uh, play to a draw, but I don't. I, I didn't expect to see Atlanta in first place at any point in the season. Honestly, um, I thought Napoli. You know, I, I've mentioned this too many times. To count Napoli tends to get off to a good start and then fade away. I'd love to see them win a Shudetto. I just don't know if if they're there yet. I think at the end of the year we'll still be talking AC Milan, um, AC Milan, Inter, and and potentially. Juve Roma in that three four spot. Well, you're talking about five through nine right now, so yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so they'll have to move up a little bit, but yeah, I did not expect Udinese because Tottenham just signed their right back, who I guess is really good, their wing back. Uh, he actually picked up the first goal against Roma, um, but they loaned him back because like they needed players just to just to compete, and so that's kind of kind of why I wasn't expecting too much from Udinese when I expect them to be like a bottom 10 plus, you know, when it comes to the standings. But uh, I expected more from Lazio being in ninth and then, uh, you know, enter in eighth and Juventus in seventh. So, yeah. Yeah. Juve, it just feels like they're, they're still kind of picking up the pieces. 
um, and still sort of rebuilding um, yeah. and, and trying to figure out exactly what they're looking for. So, um, yeah, Serie A, um, I don't know. I mean, Serie A Prem, Champions League, everything right now, as I said, we'll be on here next week and everything will have completely changed. And um, we'll be talking about Brighton being the, the Premier League champions at the end of the year. So who knows? Yeah, we will, but we will also be talking about Vlahovic more, hopefully, because uh, he hasn't been producing as many goals from uh, open field, I've noticed. Um, and then uh, hopefully Chiesa is back. So when Chiesa is back, we can uh, start celebrating more, more, more Italian. You know, it's not it's not enough that we're bringing just the Italian beers on the podcast. You know, we need to start talking just more Italian, Italian homegrown we, players. We do need more Italians. Um Goal scorers right now. Kavika's got four goals in five matches in Serie A. We've got to give him another shout-out. Um, and Arnautovic is leading the league with five goals for Bologna. I believe Vlahovic is tied with Kavika with, with four goals um, in second. And uh, there's there's one or two other players with three and four as well. So, okay, uh, yeah, that kind of wraps things up for the most part, Serie A. Uh, looking forward to obviously things have been pretty busy with the wedding a couple weeks ago um, and then went back home this weekend for the holiday. So looking forward to a weekend of just doing nothing but waking up and watching soccer this weekend. I like it. Hey, is it we got college football, you know, we got NFL coming back, Champions League's back same time. Is it officially October? Oktoberfest season for the beers can we start bringing those on the pods or what's going on I've thought, I've thought about it multiple times and last year I pulled the trigger really early so I hesitated <laughs> uh but yeah I think so I think we can start getting into that next week it'll be mid-September officially and I think yeah. we can definitely get into Oktoberfest season which I'm, okay. I'm completely about so like it uh as for booze cheers belters I think we shared them all I think yeah. we're good right yep okay well, cool Cheers. All right. See you guys next week. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce and Belters. And cheers.